and welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with theindicast.com. My name is Abhishek and this issue's cover is a special one. It's the Independence Day package. The theme is, with BJP in power after a decade in opposition, where is India headed? And it has essays from eminent personalities like Vinod Mehta, Anuaga, Gurcharan Das, Raghavbal, Steve Forbes and many more. And joining me on the call uh, to talk about all of this is editor Saurav Muzumdar and Editor-in-Chief Mr. R. Jagannathan, or Jaggi, as we like to call him. Hello, both of you. Nice to have you on the call. Hi. Hi, hi, Abhishek. Jaggi, let me start this with you. Even before we start talking about the cover story, could you take us back to the discussions that you might have had with your team when it came to designing this cover? Or was it an obvious choice, the subject itself, because it was a big, big shift in Indian politics when that happened a couple of months back? Actually, we first started a general kind of discussion somewhere around December when we were planning the year-end issue where we said that, look, something significant is happening in the polity, and we were asking whether Narendra Modi can make it. So that made part of our year-end issue. But after the May results, we found that the thing had actually been quite different from just the general expectations we had of a coalition government. You have a government now, after 30 years, the first government with a complete majority on its own. And the character of the government is not the same as what the NDA had in between 1998 and 2004. So it was quite significant, uh, both the personality and the character of the government had changed. And there was a lot of talk about it. So we thought this Independence Day, we need to focus on this change and what it means, both from viewing it, both from the left and the right and the center. Sort of, if you can pick up from there, what are some of the essays that people have written and what is the package about? A few highlights so that the listener gets a bit of a picture. So just to uh, take off from where Jaggi left the discussion, so the issue is called right turn because we are actually trying to understand various facets of this rightward shift in the political thought which India is sort of getting into because after the election results. So we are looking at various aspects. Is it really a very marked shift to the right? Is it really going to be gradual or very pronounced? What are the various thinkers talking about? So therefore, we have a good crop of people from all facets, whether they are right thinkers, right-wing people or right-wing sympathizers or left-wing people or even uh, centrist uh, thought. So we have a lot of these people talking about whether uh, what are the various facets of this, this new government and this new shift in political thinking. And even we have people from outside. For instance, Steve Forbes's column is a view from the outside of what an external uh, observer of, of his eminence thinks in terms of what the government is supposed to do in terms of the economic uh, priorities, what are going to be the Narendra Modi government's economic priorities. And he's made some very, very interesting observations as the reader will find out when he reads the column. Similarly, we have uh, people who are like Mushirul Hassan, a noted uh, you know, thinker and intellectual, uh, talking about what it means for the education side. Uh, you know, then you have Vinod Mehta talking, who's been a political observer and an eminent journalist for years, actually deciphering what it means for the government and for politics. Also, we have uh, somebody like a Swapan Dasgupta, who's very, very articulately put forward the view that, you know, while there may be a, it, it's in, in outward uh, view, it is a rightward shift, but it is a small R because he will have to be doing a lot of things gradually and how Modi is actually, uh, the government is making a lot of uh, changes, but yet retaining a lot of the things of the earlier government. For instance, the MNREGA, the Narega, and the continuance of the Aadhaar scheme and all of that. So how he is sort of morphing into a kind of right-wing government, but with a small R. It will be gradual and not very marked. 
And then, uh, you know, Sandeep Pandey's column, for instance, looks at the bureaucracy and how the how Modi's uh, aim at using the bureaucracy is uh, whether it will succeed or what are the changes, how to convert a Babu back to a bureaucrat in a, in a sense. So it's very, very interesting set of articles without revealing any more. I would uh, definitely feel that it's a, it's a fascinating set of uh, articles. And yeah, that's quite an assortment of topics, subjects, and people writing on them. And uh, I have a question for both of you. You can take a stab at it one by one. Is How much can and should one expect from the prime minister of a country like India with only 100 days or so into his game? Because when a new CEO joins, let's say an ailing company, he has the liberty and the freedom to you know, lay off people, close divisions, draw that famous $1 salary, and he can make certain hard calls as long as he's meeting shareholders' expectations. But that can't quite happen when it comes to a democracy as big as India. So what are some of the constraints under which the prime minister of India, in this case Mr. Modi, works under? And how fair is it to judge him so soon or is it? No, I think you cannot judge him so soon at all. And in fact, though, given the nature of hyper-media coverage these days, every day we expect him to make big moves, which is not going to happen. I think Mr. Modi himself is uh, not a dyed-in-the-wool uh, Reagan or Thatcher kind of person. He is cautious in his own way. He believes in strong governance in which uh, a lot of work is done through the bureaucracy. And also, uh, I think he is moved more towards the left on taking over because that is a left flank he has to guard. That is because he knows all the attacks on him will come from the left. So he has been talking more about the poor, even though his underlying moves are to ease the running of business in India. So I think uh, this, he is not planning to be here for uh, even one term. He's talking about uh, doing things over two terms. So he is going to take his time to make his rightward shift and it will be slow and gradual. It's not going to be all of a sudden in one budget or in one move. Right. What are some of the limitations that somebody like him does work under? I ask that because he has a clear majority, so that layer of expectation is slightly higher from him. Actually, the, I think what we don't understand is that in order for any legislation to pass, you need a majority in two houses, not one. What has happened is, like, I think by the time Modi gets a more favorable number than Sabha, it will be another two or three years because of changes in the election, uh, new elections uh, after that represents the new assemblies will take time. So my guess is he will make fewer legislative changes, but more executive action will what change first. Sorry to interject, but Daggy, just to add to what you're saying, it's we are already witnessing that in the insurance bill, right? Where you know the Rajya Sabha numbers really don't add up, and then already when you know people who had thought that it would be a cakewalk and uh, you know for to get this legislation passed, it's not going to be so easy. It is very clear that he will have to do it more through executive action unless the numbers add up eventually over the next two, three years. So, you know, it's it's really not going to be such a cakewalk as was anticipated. So that's just one of the challenges. Others are, of course, in a country which is overwhelmingly poor. You really cannot have a rightward shift which is aimed at only generating wealth for the upper layers. You'll have to keep the poor and the underprivileged firmly in mind. So how does that sort of mesh into the right-wing, right-of-center philosophy is something which is going to be really, really interesting to watch. What changes can he do then? Jaggi, you mentioned a little bit about it uh, some time back. Is Let's start at home. Let's say let's start with his bureaucrats. Now, one of your essays cites a report which ranks India as having the worst bureaucracy among all democracies, I think. There have been reports in the media about the things that he's uh, doing to you know, motivate them or give them stringent deadlines. But how much of that is true? And is he really taking that section of his house by storm as, as much as we read in the papers? 
Yes, I think he has made moves primarily in the bureaucracy and not among anybody else. In fact, the first meeting, big meeting he has is he empowered his bureaucrats saying that if your minister has any problems with you, you let me know so that I can intervene. So he said be free, free and all that. So I think that one of the negative legacies of the UPA has been a bureaucracy that just refused to take decisions. He has given them assurances, take decisions, I will guard you if you make a mistake. I will not go after you thinking that every small mistake you make needs to be penalized. So I will protect you. So those are the things, initial moves he has made. And also the fact that he has not changed too many of UPS policies, which were all done by the same set of bureaucrats, means that he is respecting their short-term opinions, getting their buy-in. So I think he ultimately plans to have a much better bureaucracy. And he is making the right moves in that area. Of course, you can't flog them day in and day out. But I think the moves have largely been positive from the bureaucracy's point of view. Right, and I think just on the bureaucracy bit, I also read that there used to be 12 signatures to get a file passed. Now, they have been reduced to four. And Now, moving on to some to the other section is we know about the background, the communal past, and Vinod Mehta, one of the essays, he writes about that, and he refuses to condemn the acts of some of his party members. Now, how much of this, I'm talking about Godra here, so how much of this uh, should be considered now that he's he's been elected? How important is it that we keep bringing that back, or we shouldn't, we should forget about it? No, I mean, there is a court process on in terms of all that happened in uh, uh, Godra and post-Godra in 2002. So that will continue. Nothing is going to change on that. But uh, Modi will always be vulnerable to image issues relating to, to the past, which is uh, what he's been trying to correct for the last 10, 12 years. And, but uh, his political opponents will keep bringing it up. And I think given the nature of the media, it will keep coming up. But I think, he's, I think the election proved that people are willing to move on. The only thing is if something like that recurs and if it can be traced to something that he or his party did, then there will be a problem. But uh, that is not the case. I mean, you're having more riots in Uttar Pradesh than any other place. What are some of the things that he could probably learn from other countries or democracies? There is at least one reference to Margaret Thatcher in the essays, which says that she learned on a job and uh, she made the government, the British government, a little more accountable and pushed for reforms. Now, these are the expectations from Modi too, whether it's reforms or making the government accountable. Do you think he can learn something from some other countries or other democracies here? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, the, I think there is no lesson for us from other democracies. Even Thatcher did not have any administrative experience, but Modi has had definitely run a government. I don't think he has a problem there. Also, the Thatcher experiment in a developed society, a rich society, relevant to us because uh, we have a huge millions of poor people. It's not going to work here. Right. The last one is you also have a story on philanthropy by Anuaga of Thermax. Now, how does that tie in? What was the intent of having that into? It is not separate to the rest of the essays. It is very much. Uh, Part of that, so we wanted to examine from somebody uh, like Anuaga, who is a philanthropist herself, of what will change. Will there be any change if a right-wing government comes to power? Will philanthropy, will the, will the thrust on the, the underprivileged um, be different? Will the thrust be different in any form in the, in, in, under a right-wing government? But what she clearly says, and rightly so, is that you know, it's not about which government comes to power because no government can ignore the problems and the, the needs of the deprived community. So I think what they, she says very clearly is that whichever color and whichever ideology a government will belong to, it has to look at in a country like India, it cannot ignore the vast population of underprivileged. 
Well, thank you, Saurav. Thank you, Jaggi. It was great. Thanks a lot for your time. On that note, it's time to, to wrap up. And all you listeners, you can get this issue, pick it up, read through all the articles and comment on this podcast too on ForbesIndia.com. To have somebody call you from Forbes for a Forbes India subscription, just message Forbes to 51818.